0: It is my privilege to welcome back to Talk Nation Radio, David Hartso. David Hartso is the Executive Director of Peace Workers based in San Francisco. He's the co-founder of Nonviolent Peace Force, which has nonviolent peace workers in countries around the world. David Hartso has been at this for years. He's been working on nonviolent peacemaking in the U.S., in Kosovo, in the former Soviet Union, Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, the Philippines, Sri Lanka, Iran, Palestine, Israel. Arrested more than a hundred times for participating in demonstrations and was critical and really came up with the idea of creating World Beyond War, which I've been working on for over the past year. And David Hartzo is the author of a wonderful new book called Waging Peace: Global Adventures of a Lifelong Activist. David Hartzo, welcome to Talk Nation Radio.
1: Thank you, David. It's good to be back.
0: Uh, It's great to have you. It's a wonderful book. Uh, Anybody who hasn't yet gotten it or hasn't had you come to their town and talk about it uh, needs to get tuned in because this is an incredible record of an incredible journey of activism. And uh, we cannot possibly cover all of it. But just to to give people a a few glimpses, you, you had a childhood that actually helped lead you in this direction, did you not?
1: I did. My father uh, took my brother and me down to Montgomery, Alabama during the Montgomery bus boycott, and I had a chance to meet Martin Luther King and uh, to meet the, the thousands of uh, African-American people who were boycotting the buses, refusing to ride the buses uh, on a segregated basis. But instead of hating the people who were doing this, they were committed to trying to use nonviolence and uh, lo- even loving the people that were uh, oppressing them, but uh, not giving up their struggle. And it really introduced me to the power of nonviolence and the power of uh, helping make change in the world. So That was at the age of 15, so that's been an important experience for my whole life.
0: And and how many years later was it that you found yourself sitting at a lunch counter in nonviolent protest of segregation in I think it was Alexandria, Virginia. Was it Arlington?
1: It was Arlington, Virginia. Uh, well, inspired by my time with Martin Luther King and in Montgomery, I, deci- I decided to go to Howard University, which was a black university in Washington, D.C. And when four uh... african-american students decided they'd had enough of segregation and went to a uh... drugstore to get something to eat instead of getting something to eat they were arrested so that inspired uh... us at howard and people around the country to began challenging segregation in our own communities. In Arlington, Virginia, there was a uh, people's drugstore that, uh, like everything else in Maryland, Virginia, was segregated. And we, 12 of us did some additional nonviolence training because the American Nazi Party was down there threatening violence or even to kill anybody that challenged segregation there. We ended up spending two days in that restaurant. The manager didn't want to arrest us. He didn't want publicity, but he also wasn't going to serve us. So we waited for two days to get something to eat, and it was the most challenging two days of my life. People put lit cigarettes down our backs. People called us every name in the book. The American Nazi Party did come. A guy threatened me with a switchblade, saying, if you don't get out of the store in two seconds, I will stab this through your heart. Uh, we'd had a lot of practice <laughs> of trying to use nonviolence against these kind of folks. And I just looked him in the eye and I said, well, friend, uh, do what you believe is right, but I'll still try to love you. And uh, miraculously, his jaw began to drop and this hand uh, with the switchblade began to fall and he uh, left the store. Well, that was a powerful experience for a 20-year-old about the power of nonviolence. We actually got the, all all the uh, eating facilities in Arlington were open within about 10 days. So that was uh, the most important lesson of my life that uh, when something terrible is happening uh instead of cursing the president or the television set or <laughs> or segregation or war uh you find some other people that believe as strongly as you do and you go out and challenge it uh and uh and are relentless and and keep a nonviolent discipline and and we can make history so uh that's
0: what I've been trying to do ever since. It, it, it's, it's a remarkable story. Uh, oftentimes when someone opposes war, they'll be accused of being a nonsensical extremist pacifist who would say nice things to someone who had a knife at their throat. Uh, and uh, from, from henceforth, uh, those of you listening should say that in fact you are aware of someone having done that uh, and, and having it worked. Um, it, just as, you know, you're, you're accused of being someone who would try to use nonviolence against the Nazis. And of course, uh, if you know enough, you know that it was used quite effectively against the Nazis. Um, how, has, how have those lessons shaped what you've decided to do uh, post college
1: well uh i've actually been much more involved in the peace movement over the last uh, sixty years than uh than in uh, continued civil rights work uh although that was a, a very important beginning for me uh, i was uh involved in, i mean i uh had my, when I was uh, 17 years old, I helped organize the first uh, peace walk from Philadelphia to the United Nations, uh, <clears throat> challenging uh, uh, or asking all governments to end nuclear weapons testing. That's when we're still doing above-ground nuclear weapons testing. And that was inspired by the Golden Rule, uh, which was a small 34-foot sailboat that was sailing into the nuclear testing area at that time. Um so that was my first kind of uh on the ground <laughs> uh, peace action and uh then uh, I uh, was very involved uh during the Vietnam War <clears throat> when the United States started uh bombing Hanoi and haiphong, which millions of people lived there and this was at Christmas time in nineteen seventy one and uh we uh I was living in West Philadelphia at that time, and a bunch of us got together and just tried to, to, to feel at a heart level what's happening to these people that are living under these bombs, and uh, what, are we, what can we do to try to stop this? And we've somehow found the courage and the support from one another to say, we're going to actually put our bodies between these bombs and the people uh, in Vietnam. And we did a little research and found out in Le- that in Leonardo, New Jersey, uh, ships were, loaded, were leaving every week uh, loaded with bombs and munitions uh, for Vietnam. So <clears throat> we uh, got uh, found 26 canoes and 52 people and uh, <clears throat> actually put our bodies uh, and our canoes <laughs> in front of the ship to try to uh, block it. Uh, from going to Vietnam, uh, they threatened us with uh, five years in prison for a criminal conspiracy. And as we looked up on the uh, decks and saw the uh, the napalm and anti personnel bombs, uh, we we looked back and we said, "Well, thank you for warning us, but if these bombs reach their destination, it's going to be worse than five years in prison." Well, uh, <clears throat> on the sixth day that we were out there. Uh, as we, they were lifting anchor in the ship, it's called the USS Nitro, Uh, we were paddling madly to try to stay right in front of the ship. And uh, we looked up on the deck, and seven of the sailors jumped off of the ship into the ocean to uh, swim toward our blockade. And uh, this was an absolutely (laughs) amazing experience for us. Uh, They wanted to join our blockade. Well, they were uh, picked up by the uh the Navy police and put in the brig of the ship. But uh word about what they went, what they did was not only on national television that night. <clears throat> it was in the New York Times and went out, out to the Navy uh and the military around the world. So, uh, they told us later when their ship went through the Panama Canal uh at, the other Navy ships had heard about the USS Nitro and the resistance. And uh, and the sailors on the decks all gave them the fist of solidarity. And about that time, the uh, resistance to the that war uh, really increased very significantly. American soldiers uh, were refusing to obey illegal, immoral orders. And uh, people have seen a Sir No Sir, that's <coughs> a, a film about... Uh, the uh, uh, American soldiers refusing to obey their orders, which really played an important role in in ending that war. So I like to think that our courage uh, gave the courage to these seven sailors to do what they believed was right. Those seven sailors gave courage to lots of other American uh, military men uh, to uh, refuse illegal orders and uh, help stop that war. So we never know uh, small acts of uh, courage uh, on our part uh, can, uh, you know, it's like throwing a stone into the water. Uh, you never know <laughs> where it's going to come out on the other end or the impact of it.
0: No doubt, and you and you never can know. And the impact may have been even much greater than that. Uh, there may have been other factors contributing. There's no way to know, but uh, but you know at least that there was that sort of good done, uh, and. Uh, and that it wouldn't have been done if you hadn't been acting. We're 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 speaking with David Hartsoe, who is the author of an incredible book based on his incredible uh life thus far, Waging Peace, Global Adventures of a Lifelong Activist. David, I wonder why you chose Peace, as opposed to civil rights uh, or environmental activism or any of a million other things. Uh, I mean, clearly, peace is, and war is something that affects a huge number of people and risks complete apocalypse. But uh, was it the the quantity of the damage, or was it something about the this issue in particular? Why, why anti-war activism?
1: Well. Uh- chance to uh, live and study in Berlin, uh, both uh, on, in the eastern side and western side, uh, and got to hear the propaganda <laughs> on both sides, and I, uh, I was living there in 1960-61 when the U.S. and the Soviet Union were threatening uh, nuclear war <laughs> over Berlin. And uh, this just seemed to me so insane. Uh, that over some you know, difference in political ideology were willing to kill hundreds of millions of people. Uh, and uh, from there I had a chance to uh, take camping trips uh, in the Soviet Union and get to know the people that we were threatening to, to wipe off the map uh, because they were evil communists, uh, most of whom were <laughs> not communists, but they were just plain old Russian people. And uh, this just seemed to me so insane. Uh, And back in 1960, this was just 15 years after the end of the Second World War. So I witnessed the the terrible destruction of that war, both in former Yugoslavia and in Germany. And uh, it just seemed to me uh, this this way of trying to resolve differences and uh, trying to find security is just, uh, totally stupid <laughs> and uh, tragic in terms of uh, what it means for for human lives. And uh, it wasn't that it's more important. It kind of some, somehow hit me in the gut, and uh, I had to respond to that.
0: Yeah, it seems like the stupidest and therefore easiest thing to to change, and yet it proves quite difficult. What do you, what do you make of? Uh, this, the evolution of U.S.-Russian relations up to the moment with NATO now expanded to the border of Russia, war games and exercises along the border of Russia, a coup in Ukraine, uh, <clears throat> threats and, and lies and discussion of putting nuclear missiles back into parts of Europe that they were taken out of. Uh, what What's going on uh, and how does this relate to what you've lived through over the decades
1: well uh, <clears throat> unfortunately we're <laughs> we're back to where we were in, in the 1960s in terms of uh the you know our belief here in quote the evil empire uh meaning uh, the russians the soviets and <clears throat> uh we are playing with nuclear war we're we're playing russian roulette right now uh because we want to uh, further expand uh the american sphere of influence or the american empire to the borders of russia uh through as you mentioned the uh the coup in in the ukraine and uh it's this the it's the inability to put ourselves in the other person's shoes when the soviet union put missiles in cuba uh, the, the United States was so <laughs> incensed <laughs> that, uh, you know, we were ready to bring uh, the world to the brink of nuclear war to, to try to get those missiles out of there. Well, if we can understand how the Russians feel about the United States uh, expanding NATO to their borders and Ukraine, which uh, many of the people there fought on the side of the Nazis against uh I, I against uh the Soviet Union back uh, during the Second World War, uh, are now part of the government there. And uh somehow we've lost the understanding uh that we are, you know, one human family. We're all related to each other and the the common people have nothing to gain from <clears throat> threatening nuclear war with each other or you know, just uh what what government is going to be <laughs> in charge here <clears throat> and uh so I, I mean i guess to answer your question um we have not learned <laughs> we the world is still addicted to militarism and war as a way of resolving conflict and it hasn't worked it's not working now it's getting us deeper and deeper into uh <clears throat> into a quagmire that um it's endanger, not only endangering all of our lives, <clears throat> it's uh, taking $2 trillion a year, which is badly needed to uh, meet the needs of, of uh, human well-being, education, uh, ho- housing, jobs, uh, health care, uh, people all around the world. And if we, uh, if we were to put that, those uh, trillions of dollars into meeting human needs, <clears throat> and i think the united states could be uh, seen as uh, as uh, the most loved country in the world uh but instead of that we keep uh building more nuclear more military bases uh further developing our nuclear weapons uh, uh, supporting dictatorships in different parts of the world if that uh if that's according to our interest et cetera so um i think it's, it's interesting, I, my own belief is that uh, at least 90% of the people in the world uh, don't want war, want peace. Maybe it's 95 or 98%, um, but our governments keep, keep being addicted. And uh, this is, this is uh, totally destructive to uh, people all over the world. It, 180 million people died in the last uh, century. Um, and you, you count up $2 trillion a year, uh, what we could do with that in a, in a creative way, uh, or in a positive way, uh, how much more secure we could be. So uh, the good news from my perspective is that uh, people all over the world have learned uh, the power of nonviolent struggle and building nonviolent movements to challenge oppression, dictatorships uh... and government that don't listen to the people and uh, so if the people can realize we're not isolated individuals <laughs> that want peace that want an end to this crazy institution of war we are uh... we're a massive majority of the world's people if we can realize that and then uh, not just uh... think about it <laughs> or pray about it or uh, sit at home and discuss with our family but get out there and uh, demand that our government, uh, you know, stop stop this insane uh, addiction to violence and war as a resolving conflict, and nonviolently challenge the institutions of militarism, uh, as we did uh, at in blocking uh, ships going to Vietnam. And I, I didn't say earlier that uh, that that our blockade at Leonardo, New Jersey, inspired. Uh, people all up and down the east and the west coast of uh, the United States, and people began blocking uh, arm ships. Uh, uh, as I say, all, all up and down the east and west coast. So uh, I think, like Rosa Parks in in Montgomery, Alabama, like the Salt March with Gandhi in India, uh, like the four students in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, we can we can, even a few people can start an action locally in their community, and you never know uh, how that's going to inspire many others to to also begin to take action to try to uh, stop this insane uh, addiction to violence and and war as a, a way of resolving conflict.
0: And I, and I should note that this book we're talking about by you, David Hart, called Waging Peace, Global Adventures of a Lifelong Activist, is is a thick, long book absolutely packed with these kinds of stories from all different places uh, around the world, from Central America, from Palestine, and on and on. and And I... Uh, I, I don't know that we are going to have time to touch on even a fraction of them because I want to. I want to continue this line of discussion that you've started. Um, I, I think this idea of 90 percent of people in the world being against war uh, is a very interesting one that that needs some. Elaboration. I, I mean, I was reading a recent New York Times article about uh, Navy SEAL Team Six, uh, and the you know hundreds and hundreds of comments from readers under this article, and and lots of them begin, "I'm against war, but I'm for peace, but." I'm all against uh, such behavior, but we, and then go through all the list of bogus excuses for war. We need this lawless team of murderers to uh, run around the world and do whatever it pleases to keep us safe from evil Muslims or to make some nation secure, meaning prop up a dictator or whatever. All of these bogus excuses for war from people who claim they'd rather not have war. Uh, So when you say 90% uh, are against war, are they in favor of using war to end war? Are they against war and in favor of using newly developed and understood skills of nonviolence to end war? Or do they just wish that somehow magically there could be no war, but they haven't really thought about how to make that happen? Uh, and, and, and is it all around the world or is it in the United States in particular that, that war propaganda has been so successful?
1: I think countries all around the world are uh, uh, are, are 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 still believing that uh, you know building uh, you know armies and uh, uh, as a way of, of trying to defend the country uh, is a way to to try to achieve uh, security. That's not everywhere. Uh, Costa Rica is a good example of a country that abolished its military uh, back in 1948. And uh, while there have been wars and dictatorships uh, surrounding them, uh, they have managed to stay out of war and have been able to to build a decent life for their people uh, with all that money that they would have spent on the military. But I think we, in the United States, as uh, as the superpower, uh, I think this this uh, power this this uh, power has gone to our heads. And we somehow feel that we have the right <laughs> to uh intervene uh all over the world uh to uh, to support policies uh and support governments that will support our domination. And uh, our our friend Johan Galtung, who started the peace studies programs uh, in different parts of the world, uh says uh People, and he has uh, been a mediator in conflict all over the world so he has his his fingers to the pulse of how people are feeling he says people all over the world are not going to put up with continued American economic military political domination um, uh, the American Empire is going to end and he says it's he predicts it will end by 2020 um, and whether it's 2020 or 2030 2030 Fifty, uh, the American Empire will end, as all empires will end. And to me, it's just a different. It's a question of: will we be fighting one war after another, after another, after another, after another to uh, maintain this empire and the American domination, or will we, the American people, join the world's people in uh, helping create a world uh, that is going to be just? and uh equitable for for all the world's people and uh things like this TPP uh you know the trans trans pacific partnership uh which is it, it's just uh, it's not only pro american it's pro american corporations <laughs> and uh it's something that the united states is pushing on the whole world and uh that that's just Uh, such a tragic way of relating the rest of the world, and it's so short-sighted. If we look at history, uh, all empires have ended, and ours is going to end unless we uh, really transform our consciousness into one of uh, a a global human family, and what is going to be in the best interest of people all over the world, not just uh, maintaining the American empire.
0: It's, it's generally understood. We have a couple minutes left. It's widely understood that if the text of the TPP were made public, the people of the United States wouldn't stand for it. It wouldn't pass. Uh, do you think that's true with wars as well? That if we saw the video footage, if we understood what was happening, uh, if we saw the, the horror of U.S. and U.S.-backed and U.S.-armed wars, that the people of the United States would make them stop?
1: I believe that uh, totally. I mean, I think the American people, like people over the world, are good and decent people. And I think nobody likes the idea of killing other people's children <laughs> for any reason whatsoever. And uh, if if we, if the American people really understood the pain and the suffering and the death uh, that we're causing through our military uh, actions in different parts of the world, uh, I think we would say let's find a, dif- a better way of doing this. And another book that uh, World Beyond War has just produced, called "A Global Security System: An Alternative to War," uh, really uh, uh, points out uh, the alternative methods that we could use to find security and to resolve conflict, uh, which are are there right now. Uh, we we just have to decide that's what we want to use instead of instead uh, of these massive military budget and, and u.s. military bases all over the world which people are resisting in jeju island in south korea uh... which is part of uh, the u.s. pivot to asia surrounding china with military bases the, the local people have been uh... struggling non-violently for eight years to try to uh, stop that building of that military base well we need to support people <laughs> and uh who are resisting these American military bases uh, Mm -hmm. rather than uh, continue to pay our taxes to uh, totally continue to, expand the american Amer- american empire
0: we we do indeed we can have a future show on each of them and and go for years uh, but this one has run out of airtime david hartso is the author of waging peace global adventures of a lifelong activist and helped start up world beyond war where you can go get involved at worldbeyondwar.org david thank you for coming on talk nation radio Please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace
1: is the way. Until next time.